You're listening to episode 587 of the Juicebox podcast. Welcome, friends. Today, we're going to be speaking with Laura. She's from Switzerland, is in her 20s, and has type 1 diabetes. You can find her on Instagram at carbcountingmess. Today, while you're listening, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. I'd like to remind you that if you're from the United States and you have type 1 diabetes, or you're from the United States and you're the caregiver of someone with type 1, you can complete the T1D exchange survey in less than 10 minutes, right from your sofa, right on your phone. T1DExchange.org forward slash juice box. That's pretty much what I got here, but there's a lot of music left. Oh, you know what? Check out the Facebook page. Juicebox Podcast Type 1 Diabetes. Actually, that's on the uh, Instagram too. I even put something up on TikTok, but the content's not quite ready yet. But you can still follow me to get a head start. Juicebox Podcast. This episode of the Juicebox Podcast is sponsored by TrialNet. Find out if you or a loved one have the genetic markers for type 1 diabetes for free at trialnet.org forward slash juicebox. The podcast is also sponsored by the Contour Next One Blood Glucose Meter, my favorite blood glucose meter, the one that I have found to be the easiest to hold, to use, to love, to hold, to caress, to sing to at night. Contournext.com forward slash juicebox. For clarity and honesty, I've never sung to a blood glucose meter. It just sounded sweet in the moment. And I guess if I'm coming clean, I've never caressed or one or held it lovingly either. But it's still a great meter. Contournext.com forward slash juice box. My name is Laura. I'm 25 years old. I've had type 1 diabetes since 2007, and I live in Switzerland. Right off the bat, I'm very, I'm aware of you from Instagram, right? So that's how I know you. And mm-hmm. I've never heard your voice before. And even though I recognize that you don't live in America, when you started speaking, I got all excited. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I was like, oh, Laura has like a an accent that I vaguely think might be not French, but close to France-ish. And then that was the best I could do. Um, so this yeah. is, I don't know, it's fun for me. People actually have a hard time locating my accent. Um because I'm, I feel like I'm all, all over the place. I, I watch a lot of American TV shows and movies, but yeah, in the end, I'm, you can tell that I'm not native. <laughs> well, and so are you born and raised there? Um, I was actually born in Italy, but uh, I moved to Switzerland when I was nine months old. So I basically grew up in Switzerland Um but my parents are Italian, so I speak Italian at home. Um, I actually grew up bilingual, so I speak um, Italian, German, and then in school we learn English, obviously, and French and Spanish. <laughs> wow. So the English that you possess now, which is great, by the way, you got from school and from television? Yeah. Wow, that's impressive. I think if I watched Italian television 
night and day, you'd be surprised that I would not learn one word. Well, English is, is quite easy to learn, honestly. Is that a dig or is that a good thing? What are you saying? No, it's, it's a good thing. I mean, <laughs> I was teasing you. Your trashy little language is so easy to pick up for a mind like mine. So you grew up in Switzerland with Italian speaking parents. Yes. And what's the language? Is there a, is there a national language in Switzerland? Is it English or is it French? Um, so actually Switzerland has um, four national languages. Um, so German, obviously, um, French, there's an Italian speaking part, and there's one which I guess it's best described as a mix between Italian and like German. Um, and then there's like Swiss German, which is only spoken language. Um, it's not written and it doesn't have any grammar, um, but it's the spoken language. So um, and every region has their own accent and sometimes they're so different that you you can't really understand someone from another region, which is very funny. Um, well, but that's yeah. fascinating. But may I offer a critique? You can't say we have four national languages. That's like saying, if I said to you, what's your favorite ice cream flavor? You can't say, well, here are my four favorite ice cream flavors. That doesn't work that way. Well... <laughs> Laura, you're going to need to make a big sign, put it on a stick, and get outside and start protesting right now. <laughs> yeah. It's going to say, I, pick a language. <laughs> right. I will do that after the podcast. Yeah, yeah. you get out there and, and get to work. It's like you have nothing better to do. Uh, right. How old were you when you were diagnosed? Um, I was 11. 11. 14 years ago-ish? Um, yeah. Is everyone impressed I, with me I, subtracting one from five? <laughs> I'm very impressed. I was waiting... For your joke. It's not a joke. I wish it was. <laughs> when I said 14 and you said yes, there's like a little band inside of my head that goes, you did it. <laughs> I mean, technically it's 13 and a half, but you know. Well, but I like you going along with it. You listen to the podcast. You know not to disagree. That's excellent. Obviously. Obviously. <laughs> Obviously. Oh, this is great. Are you a very sarcastic person? Um. Yeah. I'm a, yeah. Um. With people I know well, I tend to be very open and funny and sarcastic but um i'm mostly a very shy person um okay. not very outgoing uh, typically with people i don't really know but um yeah how do, how do you get to know people then um through my boyfriend <laughs> he's much more outgoing <laughs> um no i just um i just like to smile and people people um respond to me smiling, so I guess so your that's an icebreaker. Your boyfriend is the the trap, basically. Yeah, he, he's the I think what they call the honeypot in right in some circles, right? <laughs> and then, um, so he brings them in, and then you retain the ones that react to your smile. Um, well, I mostly I smile at. <laughs> this is gonna sound weird. Um, I smile at strangers sometimes. Um, just because I'm a, I don't know, a kind person. Um, <laughs> and I don't like to look grumpy. Okay. Um, so, yeah, those that, are the two main ways to, you Laura, know. Laura, I do the same thing, but for a completely different reason. So I smile at everyone. I'll say hello to anyone who comes within like six feet of me if we're walking face to face together. 
but I just do it to see how they react. Like it, to me, it's just a social experiment. Like I mm-hmm. like it too. I should be clear. I'm not just effing with people. Like, like I really do. I really am interested. I'm, I'm, I think I'm a pleasant person and I do like to say hello. And I don't think people make enough eye contact and smile and things like that, hold doors, that kind of thing. So I am very active when I'm in public like that. But the, I guess the secondary interest is to see how many people are. I, I think they're mostly shocked. I don't think they're put off. Mm-hmm. And I think that sometimes even when they're shocked, they'll rebound and you'll be past each other and they'll turn and go, oh, hello. Like it just, they're not expecting it. But that might be an American or even colloquial to my, my, where I live geographically, perhaps. I'm not sure. But it's, so are you um, introverted? Um, yeah, I guess you could say that. <laughs> Does interacting I like with- to spend time alone. Um, it's just that it's not that I don't like other people. <laughs> I just need to recharge my social batteries. Um, so I'm, I've actually been enjoying COVID. <laughs> you're, because... one, you're one of the people that's like, wait, stay inside and don't go out. Oh, thank God. Finally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, I've been, yeah, I've been loving spending so much time at home and just doing my own stuff, um, organizing, you know, stuff like that. So when you smile at somebody, is there not a concern that they'll engage you and then you'll have to spend some of your social capital on that? Um, not that much because Swiss people aren't as friendly as American people. So um, most of the time it's just a smile. People don't really smile back. So it's just you know, just being kind and, and whatever. Um, but Swiss people are very reserved and not that talkative. Um, so it's not a big problem. You think they're all pissed off because they know the rest of the world confuses Switzerland and Sweden? Oh my God. Yes. Please, (laughs) please to everyone stop confusing Switzerland and Sweden. It's not the same. Well, in fairness, they both begin SW and they're both in that version of the world over there ish. So for people who don't understand geography or, you know, spelling, it's Mm -hmm. the same place. I know it is for me. (laughs) Uh, I mean, you know, it's funny though, because um, I feel like Europeans know so much more about the US than Americans know about Europe. Mm -hmm. So like we watched the presidential election on CNN. We're very engaged. We knew like all the counties and, um, you know, the blue counties and red counties. Um, I could, you know, I know the names. um, But then American people confuse Switzerland and Sweden. I'm like, those are two different countries, people. We don't care. <laughs> you should try being American. It's kind of fast. It's fantastic sometimes. Uh, my wife works with people daily from France and Switzerland, Germany. And uh, so I hear it more frequently. So I stop myself before I make the Switzerland, Sweden mistake. But I have to, like, I have to, like, set it in my mind correctly. Like, even when you said Switzerland at the beginning, I was like, no, don't mess this up and say she's from Sweden at some point. So I like, I had to, like, put the thought into my head. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm very fascinated by you. So, um, but, but, okay, so you were diagnosed, oh, God, 11 years old? Is that what you said? Yes. Excellent. On 9-11, actually. Oh, get out of here. Seriously? Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. While the whole world was going through a tragedy, you had your own personal tragedy? No, 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 no. 9-11, um, like 2007. Oh. Oh, okay. All right. That, six I, years I guess after. my math could have been better. when I, I should have said to myself, that was 21 years ago, and she said 11. Um, and you almost weren't even born 21 years ago. You were like four. Right. right. All right. <laughs> yeah. All right. So now, now we can see that between the math and the Switzerland-Sweden thing, you've thrown me off kilter. Uh, you you all now know why I didn't take the SAT ever. I was like, how am I going to keep all that in my head at one time? It's ridiculous. <laughs> um, okay, so you're diagnosed in Switzerland. What's the protocol? How does it work? What do you remember? Um, so I remember going to school um, uh, in the morning, and then um, over lunch, we actually go home and eat lunch at home. Um, and then instead of going back to school, in the afternoon, my mom um, picked me up and she said, oh, we need to go to the doctor to check something out. Um, and at that point, I had been drinking tons and tons of water. Um, I had been losing weight. I was pale, um, you know, the, the classical signs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually, I'm, I was 11, but I was so... Um, I, I started panicking when I didn't have a water bottle or access to tap water um, because I was so thirsty the entire time. Um, and I would just actually cry if, if I had to go, to go out without a bottle. Um, so my mom was like, this, this is not normal. Um, and she went to Google, if I remember correctly, and typed in the symptoms and um, it actually said type 1 diabetes. Hmm. And um, so we went to our pedi- to my pediatrician, and I um, I think I had a urine test, and they checked for glucose, and obviously there was lots of glucose. Um, so they were like, "Oh, you need to go to to the ER immediately." Um, so we went, I think, to the children's hospital. Yeah, I think to the children's hospital, um, and. I don't remember too much, um, actually. I just remember my mom crying at some point um, and going outside and actually giving myself my first, my very first insulin shot. Um, and I was diagnosed with a blood sugar of 33 millimole, which is 600. Yeah. I have a couple of questions. So my first one is pretty basic. You go home every day for school, for lunch, from school for lunch? Mm-hmm. How far is school from home? Um, it's about a 10-minute bus ride. So every day they pick you up, take you to school, then put you back on a bus, take you home, then come back and get you, take you to school, then put you back on a bus and take you home. No, actually, um, so... Swiss children are very independent. Um, so by the time they're in first grade, they actually go to school like alone. The parents like don't bring them. They don't pick them up. They go on the bus um, and get home alone. Yeah, I'm um, saying, but the bus takes you, the bus picks you up in the morning, takes you to school. Then it brings you home for lunch. Then it has to pick you back up again and take you back to school after lunch. Am I right? <laughs> Or no? <laughs> yeah, but it's not a school bus. We don't have school buses. What is it? It's just it's just a normal bus, like a like pub, public transport. Oh, the bus, not a bus, not not like yeah. a bus that belongs to the school. Just a bus that runs around town. 
No, 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 no. It's just um, a bus. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, so I'm sorry. I know we're going down the wrong track here, but I can't help it. <laughs> so do people trickle back in after lunch or are people back on time? Oh, we're Swiss. They are back on time. I guess that's how the watches work, right? So well. Yeah. Okay. So everybody's back on time. And then what's the gap of time that you're gone? From the time it's like, okay, I'm going to go home now till I'm back. How long is that? Um, so we, hmm, I'd say one and a half hours, maybe. Wow. That's sweet. Can I describe to you my lunch at school? <laughs> Just very quickly. A bell rings in your ear. It's atrocious. You grab your books sprint through a hallway that if I'm looking back now was honestly just one of those cattle shoots they use to lead steer to slaughter right and then they just move you through quickly you're banging into people people are going the other way you're dumped out into this horrible room where they give you a piece of bread soaked in ragu sauce with four pieces of fake cheese on the top and they call it pizza you have 20 minutes to eat it put your tray back and run to your next class how does well. that sound to you <laughs> Awful. Yeah. And in those 20 minutes, you talk a lot of shit about other people. So, you know, like you point over at other tables, you make fun of kids. I was probably being made fun of by the table across from me. It's like chatting, people get into fist fights. None of that happened for you, huh? No. Well, luckily, I, that didn't so. happen. But yeah. uh, when I went to high school, I, I had to eat at the school. So, like a common person? Feeling. What is this? Did you still get 90 minutes for your nosh or no? No, I wish. <laughs> it was just like one period. I thought you were going to tell me they came in and they would hold warm towels to your neck and forehead and <laughs> refresh you. Right. <laughs> I a, wish. So, so I'm sorry. So you, you're diagnosed in the hospital. You learn to give yourself a shot. You leave with needles and a meter. What, what do they set you up with? Do you remember? So I was at the hospital for nine days and I left with pens and just a meter okay and i actually stayed on pens and the meter um until i was probably like 18 19 mm. um and then i switched to the adult endo and he actually put me on dexcom okay what did you i'm sorry i'm gonna ask one more back question before i move forward you talked about like panicking without water before you were diagnosed was mm -hmm. that a um, a physical understanding that you'd be in some sort of distress or pain and you wanted to have it to stop that? Or was it a, a psychological, almost kind of guttural desire? Do you remember? I actually don't remember at all. Um, like, I don't even remember. I don't, I don't remember being aware of my thirst. Yeah. Um, I don't remember losing weight i like i was just living my life um and just and dying at know, the same time very quickly. <laughs> and dying yeah. i'm just <laughs> obviously yeah. you know why i ask though right because you're you're the first person to describe it that way and i thought oh maybe she's got a remembrance of it meanwhile i don't expect anybody's going to i just i mean i assume this is just your body in survival mode telling you you know, in not not in words, but telling you, hey, if we get away from this water, we're in trouble. But it's just mm -hmm. it was just kind of fascinating. So, OK, so I'm mm -hmm. sorry. So when you got to an adult endocrinologist, they gave you a Dexcom. What were your um, 
outcomes like as a child and what were they like after you could see your data? Um, so that's, so that's the interesting part. Um, so while I was at the children's hospital, um, there, like that specific children's hospital is, is, uh, famous for being not up to date. Um, like even now, <laughs> <laughs> so that's great. <laughs> um, it's a hell of a thing to but, be famous for. <laughs> Or, yeah. <laughs> or a hospital that doesn't do a great job and everyone knows it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, no, but uh, so during puberty, I was, I was actually doing quite well. Um, my A1Cs were like in the high sixes, um, low sevens, mm-hmm. mostly high sixes. Um, but obviously my, my blood sugar was a whole other story. So um, I was... Um, you know, um, giving insulin after I ate, um, my blood sugar would, would, uh, shoot up to 400 and then come back down. Um, but still I was one of the kids that was doing so well. Um, and my, um, my endo at the children's hospital kept telling me, Oh, you're doing so well. You're doing so well. Um, I wish everyone was like you, um, so they even gave me at one point when uh, Trisiba came to Switzerland. Um, I was one of the first kids to try out Trisiba because the ender was like, um, your control is so good that um, we can like we can see the effects of Trisiba on your blood sugars. Um, so we want you to try it. Um, and so I, I thought it, I was doing quite well um, when in fact I wasn't. Um, and my parents kind of knew what something was up mm-hmm. um but they yeah it was a very difficult situation because so to get back to get back to like swiss children are very independent um that's something that you know gets um pushed very hard um like children need to be able to look out for themselves from a very young age um and so when i was diagnosed and um at the hospital they were like you need to take care of this um you as an 11 year old um you are in charge of our charge of everything and um your parents you know they don't have to do anything yeah um and you know the doctor told me this and i was like okay that's that's my job now i i need to get this under control um but obviously as an 11 year old I, I had no idea. I had no tools, no education to get even close to managing this disease. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the endo was actually pushing away my parents. Um, and my parents wanted to help me, but I was pushing them away because the endo told me it was my job to manage this disease. So I didn't want their help. Um, and it put us in this very strange triangle um, and it caused so much stress and fighting with my parents um, and just. Tell me, tell me why fighting because you needed their help and you could feel they wanted to give it to you, but they were stopping themselves. Um, I, I knew I, I kind of knew I needed their help. Um, but I didn't want to accept it because I 
I felt like a failure if I had accepted their help. It meant that I had failed because I wasn't able to manage this disease by myself. I see. Um, and also because the doctor kept telling me, you know, that like they told my parents um, she needs to come like the all uh, every three months you, you go to the endo. Mm-hmm. Um, and from the very start, I like I went on my own. My parents weren't even in the room. So um, did you take a bus? <laughs> or did they drive your parents drive you? Uh, I, don't, I don't remember. I think they drove me. And then they waited outside, but I'm not sure actually. Um, <laughs> That's fascinating. <laughs> but no, but that really is interesting. I mean, going back to how you, and this is from the beginning, from, from the very beginning at, at your youngest age. From the age. very start. Well, I guess you also described a, a society where first and second graders were expected to jump on buses and make it to school on their own, right? Right. So that's the idea. What what is that? Is that the is that the German influence on Switzerland? What do you think that is? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It, yeah. Because um my parents are Italian, so they've got, you know, they've still got some Italian um mentality left in them. They take off the afternoons. What do they do? No, 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 no. no. Like they, but they're very protective. Ah, so see. for them, it was extra hard um, to see their child struggle and not being able to do anything. Um, and they they actually got quite angry um, at my endo because because he was pushing them away, and I was clearly, you know, I was doing okay, but I I could have done so much better. Sure. And. Um, and it just uh, created a huge, you know, resent feeling of resentment. Yeah. Um, and to this day, I I actually can't really talk to them about diabetes. Um, I, yeah, it's just it's just well, strange. I I'm interested if this thing that your doctor was doing, if it had any benefit or if it was all kind of negative. So obviously, first of all, it created a barrier between you and your parents and diabetes but did it turn you into some like amazing practitioner of diabetes were you just like oh i've got my dexcom now and my a1c is 4.9 and i'm amazing at this because i'm so accustomed to doing it by myself or did that not happen either like i'm trying to decide if this is just a bad idea from the doctor's point of view it was just a bad idea okay. honestly I mean, yeah, it seems like it to me i was um, just wondering what you thought i could yeah, I, I I hear you talking about um, you know parents supporting their child and when to um, you know give the child more um, responsibilities and stuff around diabetes management and um, and so many people say oh if I, if only my parents had supported me or you know um, helped me out. And and I'm in the same boat. Um, if I could go back, I I would, you know, I would choose. Um, I would actually, you know, want my parents to support me and and get to know the disease because honestly, I don't think they even know how to check my blood sugar hmm. with a meter wow. <laughs> um, because they've never had to do that. They have never given me an insulin shot. They um, never had to use glucagon. They know how to carb uh, to count carbs mm-hmm. um, because they they did do that for me, um, but they never 
got up at night to check my blood sugar. Um, it's just everything was on me. And it's a lot for a teenage girl to to carry this burden and and just um of course yeah i just felt like a failure the entire time i'm sorry yeah i i don't i mean listen the the part of it that makes it so crazy in my opinion is is that the story you're telling should fit more of a 20 year ago diagnosis not an 11 year ago diagnosis but maybe that's just the difference between the U.S. and where you are. I don't know. But, like, it's interesting because I have to remind myself while you're talking, you're 25, you've only had diabetes for, like, a decade. Because, uh, seriously, I, I know I'm repeating myself, your story sounds older than that. Like, they'll have to do it themselves, and here it is. And, by the way, too, praising you for an A1C without any consideration for how you got to it. Mm-hmm. They didn't care. They didn't care that you were 400. I'm assuming if you were 400, that means you were also 50 some of the times too. Yeah. And, and the thing is, they didn't know that because um, I, um, they didn't check my meter. They checked my diary. Yeah. So like the night before my end appointment, I would just write some random numbers in my diary and that would be it. Mm-hmm. So I, I'd write like, 120, um, maybe 200, you know, like the not perfect numbers, but okay numbers. And, and they just bought that. They never checked my meter. <laughs> so you just feel, you were like, what gets me through this conversation? I'll put in numbers that aren't perfect, but don't look too bad that they won't dig any deeper. And you had to do that when you were a kid too. You were kind of manipulating your way through those appointments. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I just, I hadn't grasped what it meant like i knew high blood sugars were bad i knew i was supposed to give insulin before i ate but i didn't and i knew you know the the endo had scared me into you know compliance um mm-hmm. by telling me stories about i don't know 28 years old year olds who um are blind because they never took care of themselves we all know the stories um but i i just hadn't it just hadn't clicked, you know? So with your um, parents sitting out in the car, you're at that age being told by a doctor, you have to do this right or you're going to go blind like the person in this example. Yeah. But that that could not have... Were you introverted before diabetes? Uh, I was. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I just wanted to make sure they didn't break you. <laughs> this doctor, this doctor just wasn't like, I'm gonna really screw this kid up. Watch this. Um, they but, came really close, but they didn't. Well, so that's interesting because your moniker on Instagram is carb counting mess. Do you feel like a mess? I think you should care about the quality of your blood glucose meter. Right? That sounds like common sense, but nobody really thinks about it that hard. Mostly, we just get the meter that a doctor gives us and we go about our business. We never even wonder, are there others? Are they better? Should I look? Well, there are, and you should. And I would start looking at contournext.com forward slash juice box. And specifically, I would train my eye on the Contour Next one blood glucose meter. It is easy to use, easy to handle, easy to see, has a bright light, second chance test strips, 
and I love it. Just, I have my hand up in the air. I'm swearing to something. It is my favorite blood glucose meter that I've ever used. Contournext.com forward slash juice box. Here's some things about it you might not know. You may be eligible for a free meter. The meter may cost less in cash than you're paying for your current meter through your insurance. All of these things are possibilities that you can learn more about at contournext.com forward slash juice box. But let me just finish with this. Really focus on your needs. Bright nighttime light, easy to read screen, second chance test strips. That means if you should touch the blood drop with you with the strip and it's not enough, you can go back and get more without ruining the integrity of the test or wasting the strip. These are the things that will impact your days and nights. And it's super easy to carry in your pocket, your bag, wherever you put your type one gear. Now we're going to move on to a type one diabetes risk screener called TrialNet. And it's completely free for those who are eligible. Who are Who's eligible? You qualify if you are between the ages of two and a half and 45 and have a parent, brother, sister, or child with type one, or you're between the ages of two and a half and 20 and have an aunt, uncle, cousin, grandparent, niece, nephew, or half brother or sister with type one, or if you've tested positive for autoantibodies outside of TrialNet. Okay, now you know what TrialNet does and you know who's eligible. The rest is easy. Go to trialnet.org forward slash juice box, answer a couple of quick questions to make sure you fall into those categories. Then you can choose how you're going to test. Will you get an in-home test kit, a lab test kit, or go to a TrialNet site? It's completely up to you. After you get your kit and send back your sample, in four to six weeks, you'll know. Do you have early stages of type 1 diabetes? If you do, TrialNet will schedule a follow-up visit to see if you are eligible for a prevention study. That's it. TrialNet.org forward slash juice box. When they ask you how you found out about TrialNet, say the juice box podcast. If you can't remember all of that, there are links to the show notes of your podcast player links at juiceboxpodcast.com, or you can just type in trialnet.org forward slash juice box. And since it was a couple of minutes ago, let me remind you of this. Get yourself a contour next one blood glucose meter at contournext.com forward slash juice box. Now let's get back to Laura. <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I I do still feel like feel like a mess, um, but definitely less than the time at the time when I started my Instagram account. Um, so I I have I have turned around my diabetes management completely, and honestly, it's uh, it's all thanks to your podcast. Um, I couldn't have done it without you. Um, but you know, I'm nobody's perfect. I still have my days where I mess up or I feel lazy. I don't count carbs correctly. I, I don't actually count them. I just wing it. Um, yeah. Counting carbs is, that's, that's lame. That's, that's for, that's for beginners. <laughs> if you're still yeah. counting carbs, just know y- you won't have to forever. Eventually you'll be able to just be like, boom, that's 53. Let's do this. And, and just roll up on it and be done. Um, Oh yeah, that's great. Okay, and listen to the podcast, right? Because then that stuff kind of uh, becomes more and more obvious how to do things like that. I, I have to tell you that that a lot of 
Jeez, I want to say something, Laura, but I don't want people to uh, take, oh, well, I, I give up. I don't care if anybody takes things the wrong way. Um, a lot of people say what you just said to me, and it doesn't lose its impact on me, no matter how often I hear it, that you know something about the podcast was like valuable for them. But somehow, because of your accent, it meant more to me. <laughs> I had a woman from Canada tell me the same thing yesterday, but she had kind of like a rough and tumble Canadian accent. And it didn't hit me as close to my heart as yours did, <laughs> which is ridiculous. <laughs> it's okay. Your, your podcast means a lot to me. So, well, thank you, you know, I'm glad I very much am. Um, I'm very happy to know that. So I appreciate you telling me um, what made you start on Instagram like you found me after you started your Instagram account, is that right? Um, yes. Okay. I yeah, because I started my Instagram account in. Hmm, I don't actually remember. Doesn't matter. My point is, is, when you jump on, what are you doing it for? Are you like maybe I'll find somebody to commiserate with? Maybe I'll find somebody who knows about this better than I do. Like, what is it you're looking for when you make it public? Because you, I mean. I guess this shouldn't be a surprise to me because I know a lot of introverted people who, you know, personally aren't looking for a ton of interaction with people can be very expressive online and it doesn't seem to drain them the same way. Am I right about that? Mm-hmm. Okay. Absolutely. So maybe is that just part of it too? Were you looking to talk to people, but the idea of doing it in person just seemed not like a good idea? Um. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I think I started it because, like, for the longest time, I I really think I really thought I was the only one. Like, I know everyone everyone says that, um, yeah. but you know, I I, I don't get why. Um, because I knew there were camps for children with type one. I never never wanted to attend one of those camps, um, and and I was like, oh no, I mm-hmm. <laughs> like if I. Um, I just wanted to ignore diabetes, honestly, okay. um, for the longest time. And then my, um, when like towards, um, like the end of my teenage years, I was struggling really, really bad. And, um, my boyfriend actually, he found the beyond type one app and he showed me the app and I was like, oh my God, there's other people. That's great. <laughs> um, there's other type ones, and um, so I joined the app, and I um, I somehow discovered some type one blogs, um, and so I started reading the blogs, and I was like, oh my god, they they have the exact same experiences as I do. I was just I was mind blown, mm. um, and then somehow. Probably someone on on the Beyond Type One app um, mentioned like the community on Instagram, and I already had a private Instagram account, so I started following some people, and then I was like, "It's great! I I need to do my own account so I can interact with people because I didn't want to, um, like, I wanted to keep my private account separate from my yeah. diabetes account." Um, and so I was just looking for relatable content. I was looking for people who could, um, you know, who understood me and um, the experiences I had had. So that was my initial thought when I joined the Instagram, uh, Diabetes, um, sorry, Diabetes Online Community. Um, 
But then I discovered, you know, I saw other people's graphs and um, how other people were handling their type one. And actually, I remember seeing like someone who, someone's graph who was, um, you know, like in the mid 200s and like 300 and maybe like 150. And I was like, other people have these kind of kinds of blood sugars. I'm I'm fine. I was, you know, I was looking for some sort of some sort of um, guide. Yeah. And um, and so I was like, that's fine. I'm doing fine. Um, but then I started seeing people <laughs> with a hundred blood sugar uh, and like straight CGM li- lines, and I was intrigued. And I was like, damn it, that's possible. Mm. Why, why am I not doing that? Why are my blood sugars so much higher? And so I started working really hard, uh, trying to improve my control. And I was still on pens at that time. Um, and it just wasn't working for me. I feel like my, my basal wasn't right. Um, I tried splitting doses, but that wasn't working. So I ended up um, going on the Omnipod mm-hmm. and yeah, so I, I was, um, I kept improving my A1C. I had actually, I had a very acute hypo fear at that point. Yeah. Um, and because of that, my A1C shot up to 9.3 mm-hmm. from like the high sixes. And so I got from, to 7.2 and at that point I discovered your podcast and you know over the past two years maybe um, I've been able to go from a 7.2 to a 5.5. Wow congratulations that's wonderful. Thank you. Yeah and you made a point a moment ago very eloquently that I've maintained for a very long time and just simply put There was a time where if you shared a good graph online, people would come at you and tell the, they would tell you you were making them feel badly. And I just always thought that doesn't make sense to me because if I, if someone shares a graph like you described, 200, 150, 300 all over the place, then someone else sees that and thinks, oh, well, this is normal. So I'm okay. But if you put out a graph that's more stable at a lower number, then people should be able to look at that and think, well, that's possible. Like that person's doing it. Like, why would it be different for me? Mm -hmm. And without any excuses in the middle, and you're too young to remember this, but there used to be that idea of like, well, it's diabetes. So if you're not having success and someone else is, it's because you have a different kind of diabetes and their diabetes is easier, which is not the case. Um, You know, in a, in a huge majority of people, there are outliers who have other health issues that make, make it possible that that could be the truth. But for the most part, for most people, if you use enough insulin at the right places, you have better outcomes. And so I have just, I mean, I was ahead of that curve. It was, it was my, my thought that we're going to project success so that people can believe success is possible. And that, that actually reached you all the way in Switzerland and, and helped you is, um, it's it's wonderful and and I and I want to thank you in return because without knowing it, you and many other people um, 
you know, when you're just living your normal day and it's nothing special, I'm not working, um, I'm just out doing something and the day is getting long or it's getting boring or I'm not doing the things I need to get done and I'm starting to feel the weight of being alive. I can, you know, imagine you somewhere, a person I've never met, never spoken to, whose health is in a much better situation through something that I've made and it helps me feel better. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's um, it's nice to hear your story because that means I'm not just making that up in my head to make myself like happier. I'm not just walking around <laughs> going, you help people. It's okay if we are stuck in traffic. You, you know what I mean? Like there's there's this thing and it's cool because the podcast is perpetual and because it's worldwide, it means that I've done something that's helping somebody even when I'm sleeping. Like it feels, mm-hmm. it feels very, um, it feels good. I, I, mm-hmm. There's no other word that needs to be attached to it. It's a lovely feeling. And I appreciate mm-hmm. you telling me that. And I appreciate you sharing with other people that seeing success can breed your own success. It doesn't have to be something that you look at and go, why are you making me feel badly? Because I'm not good at this. You know, like, because mm-hmm. no one's failing at it because they're not good at it. Like Laura's explained what happened to her. She came up in a culture where they were like, you're two seconds old, take care of yourself. And then, you know, and then, and then she gets diabetes and they're like, yeah, keep taking care of yourself. And the doctor's like, don't go blind. And she's, you know, in her teens, um, you know, which is a crazy time to be telling somebody you're in charge of diabetes. And by the way, it's going to kill you if you mess it up. Um, and then you still came out the other side of this. That's just wonderful. It, it's a, mm-hmm. it's a great, simple story. And you're so young that you really have an opportunity to live your whole life this way. Uh, it's heartwarming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I completely agree. Um, I like being being in um in the diabetes online community can be so um empowering and also it's just a great place to be. Um, but there are a couple of things that I don't really like, and the the one with the A one C is one of them. Um, lots of people don't post their A1Cs. Um, they're like, oh, it's just such a personal thing. I I don't want anyone to feel bad. Um, I, I just don't get it, honestly. Um, like, yeah. I think it's important to post normal A1Cs, normal blood sugars, um, because you get what you, ex- uh, what you expect. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, sometimes I'm, I, whenever I see... Um, you know, other people um, posting their graphs and, um, and you know, you follow people and, and you kind of get to know how they handle diabetes and like what kind of blood sugars they have. Um, of course, social media is never the full picture, but, you know, you, you kind of get a grasp of it. Yeah. Well, um, and I just... I'm sorry. Sorry, go ahead. No, I cut you off. I apologize. I was just going to say, look, there are some people who don't share their A1Cs because they have their reasons who cares what the reasons are but there are other people who are trying to be quote unquote diabetes influencers and they're trying to make money off of it and if they showed you their a1c you'd think well why am i following this person mm-hmm. you, you know and so they'll say oh i don't want to you know make people feel bad but i'm listen i know a couple of people's stories privately that they wouldn't know that i know and they're out there taking money off of people to teach them simple things like pre-bolusing and 
they don't know what they're doing either. They're getting their information from other places. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that's not the diabetes community. That's the world, really. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's, you know, what you're really describing. Um, you know, what I talked about earlier, like somebody said, don't make me feel badly. That's just a weird thing in society right now. Like apparently people can't be successful because if you're not successful, it makes you feel bad. Like, I don't, I don't know when mm-hmm. we got to that point in the world, but mm-hmm. you know, like that, that is everywhere. It's not mm-hmm. just, you know, nobody disagrees and has a conversation. They're just like, you're wrong. And that's it. And then we just burn everything down. Seems to be what happens online, but that's not how the real world works. Yeah. And so I think part of the reason why the podcast is still, it works that way is because it drags people into a form of digital media that they had no idea existed and had no interest in. Like, do you have any idea how many people listen to this podcast, but not other podcasts? You, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Or how many people listen to this who would never have an Instagram account or never think to go on Facebook and don't care about the world and what other people think of each other? They just want to be healthy. They don't care how the hell they figure it out. Mm-hmm. It, those That's the common sense that I represent. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I also think it's it's so important to change the narrative around type 1 diabetes because I feel like it's um, it's just common knowledge that, um, oh, you know, managing type 1 is so hard and, oh, it's normal if your blood sugar fluctuates. Um, and yes, to a, to a degree, it is normal. Like um, healthy people's blood sugars do fluctuate a little bit. Um, but... It's it's just so sad to me that um, type one diabetics feel like it's it's totally okay to have like two hundred and fifty three hundred blood sugars when in fact it's not and and no one has ever told them um, yeah they like lack the, the endos doesn't expect that from them and and um, it's just it's just sad because everyone deserves better everyone deserve, deserves to be in charge of their diabetes and that's what i learned from your podcast which is so so useful and just empowering i i used to be you know in the passenger seat i used to react to my blood sugar and now i can act to get in front of my blood sugar and you know and decide where the car is going mm. um, i'm in the driver's seat now and that's i yeah it's just um i I don't really like I in, in German we say um someone suffers from diabetes and I hate the term because I, I used to suffer. Um I suffered for a decade, but ever since um turning around my management, I I, f- I honestly feel empowered by diabetes. So much so that I um sometimes I, I bring it up in job interviews because um so I loop um, mm-hmm. with Omnipod and Dexcom. And, um, and I was um, asked once in a job interview, I was like, tell me a personal success story of yours. And I was like, sure. Okay. So, you know, I've got type one diabetes and, you know, I've got the insulin pump, blah, blah, blah. And I told them about loop and how I had to build the app on my iPhone. And it's just, you know, I, I, I reframe it as a, as a personal success, because honestly it is. Um, and I, I just wish everyone could have this feeling of empowerment and 
being able to live well and be happy with yeah. type one. Yeah, Laura, you're not reframing it. You're just explaining it properly. It is a, it is a, it's a major accomplishment. It really is. Thank you. Yeah, no, you're very welcome. I listen as you're talking. I for one of the very first times, I'm 500 episodes into this. I thought to myself, I hope my daughter hears this episode one day. This is the first oh. time I thought that while someone was talking. I really did. Like this, your your success makes me feel proud of myself and proud of you at the same time. And I don't normally feel like that. Um, normally someone says, hey, the podcast helped me. And I feel like a little, I get a little giggly inside. I'm happy that it's good for you. And like, I have that kind of thing. But I've never, while you were talking, I thought, there's a 25-year-old person in Switzerland whose life is better. And I had something to do with it. And I didn't, I don't usually think of it that way. Um, and I suddenly, oddly want my daughter to know that I did that for you. I don't know why all of a sudden it just made me feel that way. So I hope she hears <laughs> oh. And Arden, if you're listening and I'm dead, you should be at my grave more visiting me. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, think about me more often than you are. And stop having sex with boys. There. That's a <laughs> message for the future, Laura. Uh, <laughs> um, wow, this is really terrific. You're, you're making me so happy because, because this is, is possible for anyone. And, and the sooner people learn about this, the better. And I just I hear from too many people in their 40s and 50s and 60s who say, I can't believe I found this podcast so late in my life. Um, that's a sadness I don't want people to have to have. Uh, mm -hmm. Is there was there anything that made the show accessible to you? Like, like why did it strike you? Because I mean, look, as we're talking, I'm twice your age from another country. I have a completely different sensibility about most things than you would imagine you do. Um, and you and I jive really well together. Why is that? Do you know? Um, I don't know. I honestly, you, your podcast is just so. Well, it's funny, first of all, mm -hmm. and that's important. Um, and you're just such a good resource and um, just your your approach to diabetes is very, uh, like I distinctly remember when you um, said, like in one of your first episodes, you're like um, explaining, maybe it, it was even bold with insulin, I don't remember. But the one where you said, um, just bolus for a juice box. Um, if if it'll go low, you, you'll just have the juice box. If it doesn't, you know, you needed the insulin. Right. Um, and I, I just, I remember, I even remember where I was standing um, when I heard that phrase, because it just, I don't know, it just, um, it just blew my mind. It was like, of course, how did no one ever think of this? Um, and I just kept having moments like these um, when I was listening to your podcast and it just, it was just um, like such a huge learning curve. Um, and it's not, it's not boring. It's not very sciencey. It's not, you know, um, super medical. Um, it's just, it's just an easy conversation with amazing management ideas. And that's like, that combination is just, um, it's just so powerful I'm glad. and it's not easy. Like I, 
I think you're doing an amazing job and I honestly you're you're putting so much work in it and I I wish everyone could listen to the podcast and I I even try um you know convincing some people here in Switzerland to listen to the podcast but unfortunately not everyone speaks English that well yeah. um and you know it, the terms are quite technical and and you speak really fast so <laughs> um oh. it's not that easy for um for people here in Switzerland um but yeah it's um i think ev seriously everyone should just listen to your podcast and i i don't know if you if you remember um like okay, a couple of years ago i actually told my endo um about your podcast and she told other patients and those patients then came back with better results and i um i i let like i wrote to you on on instagram and um like you even said something like on a show and i don't remember, no, I remember. When, but um yes so i i really hope to spread the word you're trying to make me cry here at the end laura is that what you're doing <laughs> It's going to work if you keep going, just so you know. Um, a little misty over here. Um, I don't know what to say other than something sarcastic. So let me just say, I completely agree with you. I'm amazing. How's that? <laughs> I, don't know right. what to, I don't know what to say about that. I, I, um, I'm, I'm happy that it, that it works. That's it. I'm very happy that it works. There is some weird mix. I mean, we could sit here and pick it apart, but... There's some weird mix of who I am and how I talk and what I know and how I approach diabetes and how I approach talking to people. And for whatever reason, like, let's just be happy it works and keep going. You know, like, I don't need to understand mm -hmm. it that, that deeply. Um, mm -hmm. I know that uh, I enjoy it and I know that I'm excited to do it. And I and you're not wrong. It is a lot of work. And yet I don't feel like I'm working at it. I'm very excited to do it. Like, I booked a, a recording like on a day that I don't normally record because I got somebody and I was so excited to get them on the show. I just was like, look, if your schedule doesn't fit mine, like, I don't care. You just tell me when to do it. Mm -hmm. And it'll mess up my day that day a little bit and it'll cause a little problem for my family. But I know it's going to build the tapestry of this podcast more. Mm -hmm. And I, and I know it's going to, it's going to help people and, and it has a chance of helping people in a big way. So to me, that doesn't seem like an imposition at all. It just seems like obvious. Um, mm -hmm. I think it can get good. Sorry. Um, as a listener, like we can, we can really feel your passion. Um, and I think that makes the difference. Um, like you're really passionate about this topic. Um, you, you know, you, you speak um, from your own experiences, of course. Um, and, and we can feel that. And I, I honestly, it, it, um, it's very motivating because um, there was a time where, when I, I just had, I was so busy and I, I didn't have the time to listen to your podcast. And actually my A1C increased a little bit because I wasn't like, it wasn't this regular check-in with, with you, with the podcast, mm. uh, like a weekly reminder to, you know, be bold with insulin, to do well, to stop the arrows Um and and when I started again, it was I I just um, I remember um, thinking, oh wait, that's why I was listening to this podcast because it's so amazing and it's just it's like um, a mental it exercise. Turned, 
when you have diabetes. Yeah. It's mental exercise. It really is. It keeps you engaged. And I mean, listen, I could I could put on a different hat and tell you why I think the podcast works, but it, it keeps you engaged and it um it keeps you honest. It give, it keeps you um you know they talk about always being you know to do, take if you're gonna you know do a weight loss thing, do it with a friend like that kind of stuff. So you have somebody to you know can kind of check you a little bit. It's it's the same idea as when people post their before picture online and then say I'm gonna start running now and you're accountable all of a sudden mm-hmm. to something. And this is kind of great because you don't have to be publicly accountable. You can just be accountable to a voice that doesn't talk back to you and doesn't know if you're not doing the things mm-hmm. you wish you were doing. So it's kind of the best mm-hmm. of both worlds in that case. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And I treat it like that. I don't treat it like a hobby or um, I don't set it up to make money it you know it does it it has ads obviously but you know you you know what i mean like you see things on youtube that you know like the person making the video doesn't care anything about this they just know that this this word gets clicks and so they do a thing about this like i don't do that i have people on mm-hmm. that i i know will bring down the listenership that day um i think children are important to talk to um and there are a lot of adults who won't listen if a kid's on but I still do it with with great glee. I never think, oh, here I go. I'm giving away downloads this week. I, I just think this is mm-hmm. important. And um, and I, and I genuinely believe what I've said to a lot of people. I think if you start at number one and listen through, I think your A1C goes into the sixes easily, probably into the high fives. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. And yours is what right now? So my last one was 5.5. And do you see those 300, 400 blood sugars anymore? <laughs> Never. No, of course not. And you said something earlier about even somebody without diabetes, blood sugar goes up and they have a spike too. You're 100% right. I've worn a CGM and I've seen it myself. I was able to get my blood sugar into the 130s and the 140s. I think one time I had to eat a lot of pizza, but I got it up into like the 160s for a couple of hours. But the difference is that if your blood sugar gets into the 160s and you don't have diabetes, your body is going to effortlessly at some point bring your blood sugar back down to where it belongs without getting low. If you have type 1 diabetes, 140 is not a big deal. But if 140 turns into 160, turns into 180, turns into 225, you have such a crazy imbalance of insulin going on that either your blood sugar is going to stay high forever like that without intervention, or you're going to intervene in a way It's going to cause a bad low later that's going to throw you onto a roller coaster. And the reason I believe that intervention will cause a low is because if you knew what you were doing, your blood sugar wouldn't be 250 to begin with. So the same Mm -hmm. brain that got you to 250 is now trying to fix 250. And Mm -hmm. so you're just going to keep making problems because you just don't know what you're doing, which is fine. But there's a way to understand what you're doing. And not for nothing, Mm -hmm. Laura, but those things are available at diabetesprotip.com where they begin (laughs) at episode 210 of the podcast, right? Right. <laughs> right. And Jenny's amazing, and you'll find Jenny in the pro tips. Yes, she's amazing. Even though she has that weird accent. You can say it. <laughs> oh, she's lovely. Uh, she is lovely. But, I mean, she, she talks like she's somewhere between Canada and, and Wisconsin, and, and she's so sweet. I'm just teasing because you have a weird accent, so I thought if I could get you to make fun of her accent and your accent, it would be hilarious. But then you didn't take, <laughs> you didn't take the bait. You just called her lovely. Never mind. Let it go, Laura. We'll move on. <laughs> Have we- um, yeah, no, I, I I completely agree with you um, with the, you know, the diabetes roller coaster. Um, and on that point, I, I would like to really encourage everyone listening 
Uh, like don't underestimate the power of the Dexcom alarms. Um, I, so, you know, I, I know you're a big proponent of um, pushing down the alarms yeah. um, as far as they go. And, you know, you're right. <laughs> like it seriously does matter and it does make a difference. And for the longest time I had my alarm at maybe like 150, mm-hmm. my, my high alarm. Um, and my A1C stayed in the low sixes, high fives. And when I changed it to 120, it actually came down. Like I'm, I'm rarely over 180 yeah. because whenever it, whenever it, um, it goes off, I, well, of, I mean, of course loop is, loop is on it. Um, but even if, it, if loop doesn't give enough insulin, I'm, I'm on it because I know it's happening and it's just, it, it doesn't honestly bother me. It's, it's like I see the alarm as something positive because I get to have the time to react before it's too high. That's something someone said in the past that I thought was amazing. She said, I used to see the alarms as me messing up, but now I see the alarms as an opportunity to do the right thing that stops something from going wrong. The way I think of it, the sooner you know, the sooner you can react. The sooner you mm-hmm. react, the less insulin you need to react with, which will stop the spike and significantly decrease the chance that you're going to get low later. Mm-hmm. That's it. A little bit of effort now stops a big problem later, or you ignore everything until it's a huge problem and then spend hours and hours and hours trapped in that problem. It's an mm-hmm. obvious decision. Yeah. You just, you know, just. And it's so simple. It really is. Listen, if, <laughs> if it wasn't easy, I couldn't explain it, Laura. I mean, really, I'm still reminding myself, she doesn't live in Sweden. She doesn't live in Sweden. And we're an hour into this. I'm no uh, brain surgeon. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's just, it's simple, obvious stuff. And I think, I think the podcast does a good job of explaining how easy it can be and why you might think it's so difficult, you know, and um, and all kinds of stuff. I'm so thrilled that you wanted to do this. I really appreciate it. Do, did we not talk about anything that you wanted to talk about? Um, maybe just one last thing. I, like I mentioned my, um, hypo fear. Um, and it was, um, yeah, maybe if if we could talk about that uh, a little bit, because it was, uh, it was really like, I struggled a lot and it was really hard for me to get out of that fear. And I, to be honest, I still, I'm still a little bit afraid of insulin and being bold with insulin is can sometimes be a, a bit hard for me, a difficult because um, my thoughts keep going to, oh, but what if you go low? Um, what if the insulin kicks in before your food? Um, but yeah, I just. Um, how did you get over it? I mean, how did you get as far in, over it as you have so far? Because it's a very obviously real thing. And it's one of the things I feel weird talking about not having diabetes um, because I can't, I don't believe that I can completely imagine what it feels like to willfully take something, shoot it into yourself and go, huh, if I did this wrong, it's probably going to kill me. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Like that's a, that's got to be a pretty big leap to make. Um, I, I do, um, I do practice what I preach as best as I can. I can tell you that last night Arden Arden's friends are starting to get their driver's license. Arden's a f- couple months younger than some of her friends, so she's going to be the last one. 
And last night, her and a friend, uh, Bella, they went out and then they ended up at dinner where Arden texted me and said, hey, we're getting like chips as an appetizer with cheese and then I'm going to have a waffle. And I was like, okay. So um, she was a little on the lower side going into the meal so that when we put the carbs in, she didn't get all the insulin she should have gotten. And I was cutting the lawn and she was at a restaurant. And so between the two of us, neither of us really noticed that she didn't get the insulin. And then it struck me about 15 or 20 minutes later. I was like, oh, I wonder, you know, I'll check. So I I texted with her and I said, oh, no, we got to get that insulin in now. And so we put a lot of insulin in. She was in a restaurant eating a waffle that I imagine had real like syrup on it, not like sugar free. I think where she was doesn't have sugar free. So I tried to I tried to get all that in my math and I was like, here, use this much. I think this will work. And then she ate dinner and everything was great. But as she got to the car to leave, her blood sugar was suddenly like dropping, you know, which I think if we were together, there weren't so many circumstances, we probably could have avoided pretty easily. And but she was in a car driving at that point, you know, with a brand Mm -hmm. new driver, with a girl who basically had driven like three times before that by herself. (laughs) And so I didn't want to be like, hey, race home as fast as you can, because I thought that'll just get them killed a different way. You you know, so I said, hey, you got a juice with you? And she said, I do. I said, why don't you go ahead and drink it? So she drank the juice. We stopped the arrows. She leveled out around 78. And she was okay. But without the intervention of the juice, I think she gets to 50. That's my guess, right? Um, Mm -hmm. But still, I can tell you that in the face of potato chips dipped in cheese and waffle dipped in sugar, I would rather have what happened than what would have happened if we weren't as aggressive. So, okay, so we missed a little bit right? Because we got out of balance a little bit. And so we were way more aggressive because we messed up the timing, if that makes sense to people listening. But still, I'd rather stop a low or falling blood sugar than fight with a high one. Um, I think that's a a great decision in the moment. I think that's a great decision for long-term health. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, I did it with my daughter remotely while she was in a car with a new driver. Like, I'm not full of shit, Laura. Like, we do what I say on the podcast. You know what I mean? So, Mm -hmm. but again, I'm not 25. A doctor didn't tell me I was going to kill myself. My parents were never helping me (laughs) and I'm working on this by myself. So that fear was with you the entire time you had diabetes. When did you start to try to conquer it? So actually I, I, I wasn't like, I didn't have a fear of hypos until um, my, like my late teens. Um, and I, like I had one experience which kind of triggered it. So I, um, I wanted to eat breakfast and I had like yogurt and cereal and it was like a huge bolus. And I was, uh, pre-bolusing at the, at the time. And, um, I was already on the lower side, like maybe 80 ish. And I, uh, so I, I bolused, I forgot to eat. Um, so I waited a bit too long. And then as I started eating, I felt sick to my stomach. So I, I had all this insulin on board and I, I just couldn't eat. And, um, and I was like, oh crap, what am I, what am I going to do? Yeah. Um, so I, 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 I felt like I couldn't hold down anything. Um, so I started eating. Um, like bread and I think glucose tabs, um, shoving them <laughs> into my mouth. 
And I, I told my mom, like, I, I have all this insulin on board. I, I'm not sure if, if this is going to go well, um, like prepare the glucagon just in case. <laughs> um, and I, I was, that was the first moment I actually felt afraid, like some sort of existential fear. Yeah. So we got into the car and drove to the hospital and I, I kept eating glucose tabs until we got to the hospital and we just sat in front of the hospital in the car and waited for my blood sugar to come up. Um, so that was the first experience. Um, I, I didn't end up in the hospital. I, I hadn't, I didn't have to use glucagon, but um, like the fear st struck very deep. Um, and then like a couple of weeks later, I was at university and I was in this huge, huge class with like 600 people. And I was sitting um, like um, on one side of the, of the room and I wanted to eat a yogurt and I bolused and ate the yogurt. And then I watched my blood sugar and my Dexcom and it went up to like 130 and then it stayed there. And I, I just panicked. I thought, oh my God, the insulin is going to kick in and I'm just going to tank and I will have a seizure in this room full of 600 people. Um, oh my God, I can't do this. So I, um, I, I left the room. I, a, a good friend of mine came with me and um, like where I, where I study, the university is literally um, right across the street from my endo's office. So I just walked to my endless office, um, drinking juice on the way. Um, I don't. I don't even know why I went to the office because honestly, what they would have just told you you were going to go blind, probably. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was a different end. Just the time. kidding. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I just, I was seeking um, some sort of security. I was like, maybe, it, like, if I have a seizure, they, I'm sure they can help. <laughs> These people um, will know what to do. <laughs> yeah, I, right. I, I see the sense <laughs> They won't just stare. But did you fix it on your own or was it ever a problem or was that just anxiety about being in a room with all those people? Honestly, if I had just if I had just stayed there, my blood sugar would have been perfect. But I I was just panicking and so I completely overtreated my I it wasn't even a low. I I just overtreated. Yeah. Periods. You didn't and need the juice I, at all. Sorry? You didn't need that juice at all? No, right. no, not at all. I, like I ended up at, I don't know, 350. Um, and when I got to my endo, I was like, I'm, I'm just, I'm just so afraid of um, like of the insulin. I, I thought I was going to pass out and um, he was really rude. <laughs> he just didn't take me seriously. He was like, oh, you'll be fine. Just whatever. And, and I was having this existential fear and, mm. and he, he would just, he just didn't get it. He didn't give me the comfort and he didn't make sure I, I felt safe. And that just stuck with me. Um, and I was, I wasn't able to shake this fear. So I started, I, I literally couldn't give you let insulin. Your blood sugar like, be higher. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was giving my basal insulin. Um, but I couldn't bolus for anything. 
So I started eating very, very low carb um, and, uh, and basically not bolusing. So, so that's when my A1C shot up to 9.3 mm-hmm. because I, my blood sugar was 250 yeah. like the entire time. Sometimes I'd have 10, 15 day stretches where I, I, my blood sugar wouldn't get into the 100s. Um, because I, I had so much fear around insulin. Can I tell you that part of my feeling around this comes from a very, very long time ago. So a really long time ago, the diabetes community lived in earnest on Twitter. It's not really there anymore with the same kind of power. Um, but there was this one girl and I don't know her name. Honestly, I'm not saying I don't know her name. Um, because I'm trying to keep it private. I don't know her name. I don't remember who she was. I remember her being in her mid to later 20s, and she would periodically reach out, and she was frozen. She couldn't give herself insulin at all. She had some sort of um, a massive hysteria about it. Like, it was it was um, beyond just fear. It, it, I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but she, she was having some sort of a um, a breakdown, it felt like, to me, from a distance. And I just remember thinking, she's got to pull this together. It's going to kill her. And people would try to help her. And sometimes she'd say she was doing better, but it just looked like she was doing worse and worse. And then one day she just disappeared. And I just always wondered, you know, I have no way of knowing what happened to her. I never really knew her. I don't think I ever even corresponded with her. I just was watching it happen. And I thought, look how real the fear is. Like everyone must feel some percentage of this she's obviously feeling all of it you know plus she's getting four people's doses of fear um but Mm -hmm. i just thought i'm afraid too you know i i have to not be afraid um and and that's about the time that i i started talking to people more and more and writing about and trying to decide how to not be afraid uh because Mm -hmm. it just seems like step one to me you know, mm-hmm. you can't be afraid. If you're afraid of the insulin, you can't use the insulin. If you can't use the insulin, you're not going to have great outcomes, et cetera, et cetera, on and on. So the fear is yeah. real. It's understandable. Um, and there's a way to mitigate it. So how did you end up mitigating it? I I don't actually know. It's It just happened over the years. I, um, well, so my boyfriend was, he was very supporting and he, um, whenever I'd get anxious and, and just afraid, he'd say, um, oh, but it's okay. Just let's just wait 10 minutes and see what your blood sugar does. And if it does drop, you can, you can always drink something or eat something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just, I just trusted the process, honestly. Yeah. Um, and, but you had a little support too. There was somebody standing next to you like, like, all right, I'll stay. We'll do it together. You weren't alone anymore. Yeah, right. right. Um, and also, I I started carrying around glucagon. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I had this kind of security blanket um, just in case something happened. I, I don't actually know if people would know how to use the glucagon or even find it. But, you know, it just my I kept telling myself, you'll be fine. <laughs> it's here. Someone will dig it. I have to be honest. I composed in my head but never typed out. Um. Hey, why don't you explain how to use the Jivo Kypo pen to your friend while you're driving? Like I, yesterday when I was mm-hmm. talking to her, like I, th- I had the thought, I'd like the juice is going to work, but 
I knew after the juice hit her, if I didn't see a change pretty quickly, she was in a car and she was out of options. She didn't have mm-hmm. any more um, sugar with her. They weren't that far mm-hmm. from home either. Um, and so I thought, like, how will I like, like, what's the least, what's the least frightening way to say, I think you might have to stick that hypo pen in your thigh in a second. You, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like if this doesn't go our way. So I kind of thought it through the best I could. I never even typed it out, but I did, I had a lot of comfort in it and I have to admit, um, and I know they're a sponsor, so it sounds, but there's something about it just being in that premix pen that makes me feel more comfortable because mm-hmm. I can't imagine saying to Arden, Hey, now'd be a good time to get the powder out and the liquid and get the liquid mm-hmm. into the, like, it just, you know, while you're driving along in a car, um, it, that all seems daunting. The other idea just seemed like, Oh wow, we really messed up. Like it's time to jam the pen. Um, mm-hmm. she's never done it, but it didn't seem scary to say, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I yeah, get that's how point. I feel about the Buximi. Yeah. I is carry the, the Buximi around. Is that the nasal now. one? Uh, the nasal one. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just it seems easier. And that's mm-hmm. great technology making people's lives better again because now you, you don't have to wait until something goes wrong, wrong because you're not getting involved in what feels like a, a super, it's, it's, it feels like you're launching something to the moon with that old, with that, that, mm-hmm. old, that old glucagon. You're like, I don't know if I can do this or not. It seems like a lot. So that's, mm-hmm. that's cool. But so you found it, you found some stability and now you're right on it. Right. And, and in all truth, when your settings are good, when you're not guessing at your basal and when you're not just throwing insulin wildly around, those kinds of fluctuations are far fewer, I would imagine. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah, I'm um, like I'm mostly well controlled. Um, I I do still struggle a bit with um, my blood sugar dropping because of activity. So, for example, yesterday um, we so we ate dinner and I I bolus to cover my dinner, um, and then. I just randomly decided to water all my plants. So (laughs) I was walking around the apartment with, um, with a heavy, whatever it's called, like the thing to water the plants. Um, And my blood sugar went from like, I don't know, 150 Mm -hmm. to 40. No, wow. Just because I was watering the plants. And if I had stayed um, you know, if I had just sat down and watched TV, I would have been completely fine. And um, so that's where I, I'm still struggling because I, I don't want to limit myself. I want to be able to be spontaneous and what? randomly decide to do things without my blood sugar crashing like crazy. Well, what are you watering the plants with? A fire hose? And how big is your apartment? <laughs> it's actually so small. <laughs> But I've got lots of small plants all around, so I need to walk into every room. Does, do you get low every time you water the plants? Um, mostly, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. And- <laughs> but it's not just watering the plants. It just, you know, it could be, um, I don't know, ironing or, you know, like tidying up, um, whatever it takes to just, you know, just walking around um, the apartment and or moving or whenever I get ready to, to okay. leave. Um, there's just a, a huge, I, I get so insulin sensitive whenever I start moving and walking and 
that's a struggle because I like I need enough insulin to cover my like my basal when I'm sitting when I'm doing nothing but then as soon as I start moving I need so much less insulin and I I just hate Can having you... to eat or drink something because I feel like I'm putting on weight. <laughs> well, what and, about what about this? What about cuz you said you were looping. What about making your basal a little weaker and your meal ratio a little heavier? Do you think you could accomplish that? Like if you took a little bit out of your basal but made your meals more aggressive, do you think that you could find a balance there so when you were away from food, you wouldn't have like it probably wouldn't be by a lot. Like you're a tiny person, right? Like from your pictures, mm-hmm. you're not very big, right? Mm-mm. Yeah. Okay. So, what are your basils like? Like 0.8 an hour, or something like that. Um. Yeah, I have. I've got some 0.8, uh, 1.1. So, is is anyone yeah. else impressed that from five Instagram pictures, I guessed your basil right? <laughs> I'm very impressed. I was too, honestly, because when I said it, I was like, I'm going to be wrong <laughs> about this. Um. So, you know, like maybe that's the case. Like maybe you could steal a little bit of basil and switch it around a little bit for those activity times is the one point something daytime or nighttime uh daytime daytime and the point eights overnight yeah you could try lowering it's very the, impressive thank you you could try lowering the um the daytime a little bit and maybe be more aggressive with <sighs> could you take away some basil and then first look at the insulin sensitivity during the day or maybe meal ratios. I'm not mm. sure where I would start, but there's got to be a way to do that because you should be able to water your plants. At first I thought <laughs> I thought you were like using a euphemism for something else. I was like she's trying to talk about sexy time without saying it. And so um because I just couldn't imagine <laughs> no. I couldn't imagine walking around watering your plants, but maybe that's it. Maybe you're being kind of real aggressive with your basil and it's making up for a little bit of um where your meals are lacking. Could be yeah yeah that could be think about it meanwhile you're doing terrific don't listen to me um (laughs) but this this begs the question then and you are young so i start feeling weird when i say it but what do you do for private time you eat a snack Um, hmm so there's actually enough time between like a meal and like private time so that i don't have any insulin on board so it's fine. All right. So I'm going to ask a really weird <laughs> private question. Is most of your private time in the evenings after your basal rate's lower? Well, now I like now I can tell my parents to listen to this episode. <laughs> do you think they'd be You just more, ruined the episode, do Scott. You think, do you think, Laura, they'd be more horrified to know that you do it when you can see each other? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> all right well oh and they're they're very they're probably catholic too right yeah no i'm sorry your daughter doesn't have sex don't worry about it i just forget it never mind anyway you understand what i'm saying i just wanted you to be able to yeah, work yeah. those ideas into your life not um not not you don't have to tell me the details i just <laughs> there's anyway i'm sorry you guys uh you guys should stop listening now it's over go ahead bye 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 <laughs> Sorry, I actually have to roll. I have so I am having a really great time talking to you, uh, but I do have something else I have to get to. I apologize. Um, sure, but I really I can't thank you enough for doing this. And in all honesty, um, if I keep this podcast going for years, you are one of the people I would like to have back on one day. 
Oh, I'd love that. I want to thank Laura very much for coming on the show and sharing her story. I'd also like to thank TrialNet and the Contour Next One blood glucose meter for sponsoring this episode. Head over to trialnet.org forward slash juice box to get your free type 1 diabetes risk screening. And if you're looking for a great blood glucose meter, look no farther than the Contour Next One. Find out all about it at contournext.com forward slash juice box. Don't forget to check out the private Facebook group for the podcast. It's called Juice Box Podcast Type 1 Diabetes. Find those diabetes pro tips at diabetesprotip.com.